This is Sports and Torts with David Spada and Elliot Harris on TalkZone.com. On the phone, we have one of the greatest defensive linemen in NFL history. This gentleman played for the Minnesota Vikings for close to 20 years. I'm going to say he should be in the Pro Football Hall of Fame. There's no doubt about it. Jim Marshall. How are you doing today, Jim? Well, I'm doing great. Did you end up choosing Ohio State for college? Uh, Woody Hayes. Uh, he was um, uh, had watched me in high school and had uh, sent over uh, uh, one of his players to kind of watch and give me some coaching tips and and uh, uh, he expected in return that I would be going to Ohio State and uh, offered me a scholarship and um, I certainly took him up on that. Now, you were born in Kentucky. That's in, correct. In Wilsonville. And uh, as the research that, I, that I've done, it says it was a, a small settlement where newly freed slaves had lived. And that, that's and that, that's and true. Did you know the history of Wilsonville when you were a, a youngster? Oh, absolutely. Uh, it, it was, um, you know, it was a natural thing that they had explained to me uh, why they settled there in that area. And uh, the members were mostly um, my family members. When you went to Ohio State, they had just started the integration of the Big Ten schools. I mean, Minnesota won a national championship back in the early 60s, but... Was there a lot of uh, discrimination on campus? Uh, there was uh, kind of uh, unwritten laws that you had to abide by. And uh, generally the rules were passed on to you by the players who uh, who were there, the senior players, junior players who were there. They kind of took you under their wing and told you these are the things you need to do and these are the things that you shouldn't do under any circumstances and it was uh, just kind of a, a guidance helping us to uh, helping us to, to, to go on through school without uh, having any um, negative things attached to our education do you think kids nowadays have any appreciation for what that sort of existence was? Oh, I don't think uh, they have uh, an awful lot of it. Uh, some of it has carried over, but uh, there was, um, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of like uh, we have no idea what the pioneers went through to, uh, to form, you know, this part of the country, uh, you know, because it, it wasn't within our experience. But, uh, you know, when you when you look at things that uh, have to do with history, if, if you don't uh, really focus on them and uh, understand them and, and, you know, make it a part of uh, uh, your curriculum, you, you, you don't you don't really you don't really know. So, you know, a lot of the kids that are that are coming up, they have no idea what what. Uh, People before them went through to uh, to uh, get them the rights that they that they have today. Um, you know, the, the, 
that's in the Constitution that all men are created equal. And uh, when you when you think about it, uh, that wasn't true during times of slavery. It uh, certainly wasn't true in the in the uh, time leading up to uh, where we are today. It has gotten a lot better, but uh, there's there's been a struggle to. Um, to see that uh, all people can have the same rights and uh, have the same respect. And uh, that's still an ongoing process. Yeah. What was it like to play for Woody Hayes? Uh, It was a great experience for me. Uh, He was like a second father to me. and He was... uh, he truly believed in his players. He believed in the school. Uh, he believed in football. And uh, he was, uh, you know, there as a, as, as a guide for us, you know, in our careers to accomplish as much uh, as we could accomplish. And uh, without a lot of negativity, uh, he did not... Uh, allow mistakes uh one of the worst things you could do was uh was make a mistake he was constantly there to correct you and to make sure that you understood that that's something you didn't want to uh to do at any time in the future so you know his his lessons were good lessons well with, with the possible exception of putting a fist through a chalkboard at halftime well, you know, it was just his uh, enthusiasm, and uh, I think his, you know, the way he felt about the game, it was it was like the game of life to him, and uh, uh, he got uh, a little riled up at times and put his fist through blackboards, and uh, I remember a couple of uh, reporters that went down the steps of our meeting room because they uh, asked the wrong questions or made the wrong comments. What was it like that 1957 season when you won the championship? Uh, it was a great time in, 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 in my career. And uh, I, I really um, uh, look back favorably on uh, that experience. It was It was a great experience. When you left Ohio State before your senior year and you went to the Canadian Football League with uh, the Saskatchewan Roughriders, did, did you consult with Woody Hayes at all? I, I, I did not. I uh, did not consult with Woody. It was it was one of those decisions that, uh, you know, my youthful exuberance and uh, I think uh, the... the uh, investigative character that uh, I had then wanted to see what it was like. Uh, I had talked to some guys who had gone up and played earlier, and they were talking about how truly free they felt up in Canada. And I thought, oh, boy, that sounds great, a great experience. I went up and tried it for a year. The experience was fantastic. Um, But I came back to play for the Cleveland Browns. I felt that my niche was in the National Football League and not in the Canadian Football League. So, Yeah, and that was back in a day when college players generally went through four years of school. It's not like nowadays where guys will leave after a couple of years of, of college and uh, 
head to the pros. Well, we had we had we had quite a few guys that uh, that that left uh, school and pursued um, you know other directions. I, I um, it wasn't anything that I thought uh, would be truly harmful to. Uh, of what I wanted to accomplish, and um, and uh, I think it I think it worked well for me. Did, when you won that game, the Rose Bowl, when Ohio State beat Oregon, what was that game like? Uh, well, it, it was a great feeling to win the game. Of course, um, it was a close game, uh, and. Um, uh, we we felt that we you know were a better team and we expected to win. Uh, I don't know what more I can tell you about about uh, what the feeling was. It was a great feeling. Uh, we were national champions. I thought we were national champions and thought we were the best team, uh, of course, in the Big Ten or in the nation. And um, I think we 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 proved it uh, by. You know, getting to the Rose Bowl and winning. Were you expected expecting to be drafted by the Browns? Uh, yes, uh, I had been told that I was going to be drafted by the Browns, and that's one reason that I I played all my football in Ohio, and uh, I wanted other experiences. You know, when you're when you're young and and. Uh, uh, you have options. Uh, that was an option that uh, going to Canada was an option that uh, that I wanted to take. So Paul Brown taught you how to run. Among how to run? You know how to how to maximize how to maximize uh, uh, your 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 speed and your ability to run and minimize the uh, uh, the things that you could do that you know that hindered your being. Uh, as fast as you could be, or as quick as you could be, you know. I mean, it was it was very simple things, but uh, it just shows you the attention that he paid to detail, uh, and you know, it, it it paid off for a lot of people. I learned a lot. Uh, certainly helped me, and I'm sure that uh, uh, the people, the other people who we coached, uh, it certainly helped them. But this is just one of the things. Uh, the, the other things, of course, were, you know, not to make mistakes. Uh, again, you know, that Woody Hayes had emphasized in in his teaching. But uh, you know, when you when you get the constant uh, emphasis on things like that, those are things that uh, that help you. They help you in your in your career. Those practices couldn't have been too fun, though, trying to chase down Jim Brown or Bobby Mitchell. Well, I mean, but those are, you know, when you when you train and you have the best around you, you learn from them. And uh, I learned a lot from Jim Brown and Bobby Mitchell. They're great people, great players, and and uh, I think the things that. Uh, that they that they emphasized was uh, was was the excellence that you saw and you know when they when they touched the football you know you saw uh, them you know do things that uh, you hadn't seen other players do. Now, when you were with the Browns, you had encephalitis. That's correct. How, how did that happen? 
Uh, I was in the Army before I went to uh, the Browns uh, training camp, and uh, I was stationed in Fort Leonard Wood, Missouri, and uh, spent a lot of time in the Big Piney River, uh, which was full of leeches and and when you got out, you were in in woods that were uh, infested with ticks, and so you found yourself infested with ticks when you uh, got back to the barracks. Uh, and uh, that's uh, how I contracted the encephalitis. Um, Art Modell uh, did a wonderful thing. He he. Uh, uh, got some people who were who were uh, working uh, on uh, some cure for encephalitis, and and uh, I think they were in Europe, and he had them come over and and work on me. I was in a hospital called Marymount Hospital. They uh, evidently what they what they had to offer was uh, was very positive and. Uh, I was cured. I was in the latter stages of encephalitis. Well, yeah, because I, I read that you had dropped to about uh, two fifteen. Yeah, which is sort of a, a shell of of a player that you were. Yeah, but it took me a few years to gain my weight back, and uh, and. You know, it was uh, a godsend that I had a team like uh, the Minnesota Vikings that uh, was an expansion team, and so it gave me time to to gain weight and work on my skills and, and get back up to a point where where I could uh, be effective uh, uh, as a as a defensive end in the National Football League. Were you surprised that the Browns left you unprotected for the expansion draft? Not at all. You know, we kind of knew that there were a certain number of players that he could protect, and uh, Paul Brown, uh, of course, favored his veteran players, the players that he knew and 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 could, knew he could depend on, and those are the players that he protected. You know how the expansion draft works. You can protect a certain amount of players, and the rest of them are, you know, up for offer. When you joined the Vikings, their coach was Norm Van Brocklin. Was it a big change playing for for Coach Van Brocklin versus Paul Brown? Uh, yeah, it was a big change. Uh, Norm emphasized, uh, you know, most of the things that we had had that I had learned um, before coming to the Vikings were about eliminating mistakes. Uh, uh, about being very precise. Norm wanted us to be fighters. He wanted us to be. He wanted to be us to be the tough guys on the field. He felt that's where uh, he could he could best depend on uh, you know a ragtag bunch like us to to to, to win is to make us tough. And so you know that's what he that's what that's what where his coaching. Uh, uh, you know, kind of uh, was different from uh, what I'd been taught before. Is is uh, you go out there and you know if you can't win the game, win the fight. Uh, and uh, it was a little different, but it, it it also had its benefits. It toughened us up, toughened the players up, and 
and was great because when Bud Grant came in again and, and went back to basics and, this, and, and being specifically eliminating mistakes, knowing your job, and um, being the, the best you could be at your position, it, uh, uh, of course, was uh, uh, different than... It was different than Norm Van Brocklin, and uh, but yet we had the benefit of, of of what he had taught us. So we had a little bit of both, you know. Be uh, mistake-free, be precise, and uh, kick ass. So in practice, you got to chase after Fran Tarkington? Uh, absolutely. We chased after him, and... Uh, uh, that was that was fun. <laughs> it was it was it was it was it was fun until uh, he left and went to the Giants, and then we had uh, we had to chase after him real out there, and and he ended up beating us. At what point did the Purple People Eaters coalesce to, to become one of the great defensive lines that they did? Well, I think it started uh it started in the early sixties, uh when we got uh, Carl Eller. Um, Alan Page uh came in, uh and then Larson and I think we you know, we realized some successes. Again, putting trying to put everything together, um uh, uh got a bit easier when uh when you had the talent of uh of uh, Eller and Page and uh it um it came together. Uh the coaches believed in us and believed that uh we could do the things that we wanted to do and uh allowed us to go out and pursue uh playing uh the way we knew how to play uh that that would be successful. For each one of us individually, and for the front four as a, as a team, which which led to, uh, of course, uh, linebackers and and the uh, and the defensive backs uh, being able to do the it gave them time to do the things that they wanted to do. Uh, it, it it just worked. I know Paul Krause gives you guys a lot of credit for his interceptions for the record he set. Well, Paul was great. He was uh, he was a center fielder. Uh, he he could lay back, and he knew in three and a half seconds if we if we didn't have the quarterback down, the ball was in the air, and um, so that gave him time to make uh, make some good decisions and uh, to really go after uh, after the ball. And uh, he was great at it. How, how does a guy recover an NFL record 30 fumbles? Uh, being alert. You know, you, you, you cause fumbles. Uh, one of the things that we learned to do was to, was to get in and, and, if at all possible, cause a fumble. And uh, if you work on that on a daily basis, and we, that was part of our training every day, was uh, fumble recovery. Who gets the credit for their defense being as great as it was? The players, or was it excellent coaching? I think it was uh, a combination of both. Uh, we had a great coach. Jack Patera was uh, was our was our toughest coach, and uh, I think it was 
his his ability to to uh, get the absolute best out of each one of us, and uh, I think we were in better shape than than any team in the National Football League because he ran the hell out of us. And um, one of the things that uh, he would do periodically in our you know when we were doing our drills was to, was to toss the football down there and. Uh, and you knew that uh, when that football came out, when it was down on the ground, that that uh, your job was to recover it. And um, so we we got quite good at that. When you retired, you had the NFL record for consecutive games played at 282, which I I, I can't believe that anybody could stay that healthy for that many games. What what was the key to setting that record? I don't know if there was a key to it, but uh, you you have to play hurt a lot. Um, there were times that I spend the weekend I'd spend the week in the hospital and get out and go play the game, and then uh, go back to the hospital. Uh, you know, it wasn't like today when uh, when when you had the doctor there evaluating you and and uh, checking whether you were. Uh, able to go go back in or not? Uh, we wanted to be in. We wanted to. Anytime the, the front floor was in, we all wanted to be together. You know, it's it's, it's like a, a a single unit that um, you know, if one piece was missing, then you know things just weren't quite right. So we all wanted to be in there. And we all wanted to be together. So um, you know, I had. Uh, uh, I think in in a week's time, I had an ankle operation and recovered from my ankle operation in time to play the following week. Who was the leader of the defense? Well, I was captain of the defense, so I mean, I guess you could call me the leader. Uh, but I think I think the front four uh, collectively were the leaders of the defense. Did you ever think to yourself if they counted sacks back when I was playing? people would recognize what I did a lot more because it seems like it's become a stat-orientated league? Uh, you got to repeat that one again. Nope. Did you ever think to yourself, you know what, if they ever kept track of sacks when I was playing, people would realize what a great player I was and I might be in the Hall of Fame and people would appreciate what I did more? Oh, I, I don't I don't think of it that way. Uh, it sounds a little selfish to me, but... Uh, yeah, I had a lot of the my first four years. Uh, I had a, a heck of a lot more sacks than I did in the in the, the next uh, fifteen years that uh, I played with the Vikings. And, and see, they didn't they didn't keep track of that back back during those times. But uh, I don't think they think of that as being a, a, a vehicle to get in the Hall of Fame. Uh, those are statistics that I. I don't know how how the whole process works, but um, you know I I don't look at it that way. I'm just thinking of the fearsome foursome. All you never hear was Deacon Jones saying, "I invented the sack. I was the greatest ever." It seemed like that he kind of put that attitude out there that this is what you need to do to be a great defensive player. Well, yeah, that's Deacon. <laughs> no, that was Deacon. That's that's the way Deacon thought. He thought he was the greatest, and uh, you know it's like Muhammad Ali. You know, he, he, he thought of himself as the greatest. 
and uh, that's beneficial. And you know, in some circles, that's that's beneficial. But uh, what, what we tried to accomplish was to have a team, um, because it's a team sport. We wanted to we wanted to make sure that uh, everybody could could. Uh, um, to do the best job that they could do, that they were capable of doing, and uh, that's what would lead to uh, our success as a team. And uh, that's that's kind of the way I looked at it, and that's the way I I think most of the most of the guys on our, our successful teams looked at it. So, was there any competition with uh, Fierce and Forsen with the Purple Peep Eaters thinking we want to be better than them? Or we want to be more recognized than them? Not more recognized, but I thought we I thought we uh could be a better team than the than the fearsome foursome and, and I thought uh, we accomplished that. Uh we were the only team uh, you know, the the Pro Bowl is is uh is voted on by the players. And we were the only team to have all four members of our front four voted on as the best at our position. And we played in the Pro Bowl. We started the Pro Bowl as a as a front four. And I don't think anybody else has ever no. done that. No, I don't think so. Now, you're, you're one of 11 players who was in all four of the Vikings Super Bowls in the 1970s. Do you have a favorite one? Uh, I don't have a favorite one because we didn't win one. And uh, when you don't win, it's like being a uh, a bridesmaid, you know. Right. Uh, you know, you you participate in the ceremony, but uh, you don't get the goodies. You know. Did it become hard after a while when you kept going and not winning? Did you think to yourself, you know what? Is there someone just doesn't like us? Well, I don't know. I, I, I think there was probably a time where, when I felt that way, that the, the big man upstairs is frowning on us. Uh, we've done something wrong, but uh, it, it's, it's not about that. It's, it's, about, it's about your performance on the field. It's one thing that um, uh, football is. It's a great common denominator, you know. Uh, it's, it weeds out the truth from, from fiction. And, uh, you know, we, when we played in, in the four Super Bowl games that we, that we played in, uh, we didn't perform well enough to win. And, uh, and uh, it, it's as simple as that. Uh, there, there are games that we lost that, uh, we, we certainly felt we should, we should win. And there were games that, uh, we felt that we played that we just didn't play well enough to win, and I think that's the case with the four Super Bowls. When you had your number seventy retired by the Vikings and uh, inducted to the Ring of Honor, how, how was that experience for you? I think it was it, it was great. It was a great feeling uh, to, to have the team honor you in that way, and to know that. You know, there's there's my jersey and uh, and you know my number and and no one else will ever have that that number. Uh, that's that's a great honor and uh, you know it's uh, very humbling, um, especially when when you know when the 
team that you that you play for thinks enough of you to do do something like that. I think it's just just a great honor. Did you enjoy living in Minneapolis area? I uh, certainly enjoyed it. I retired here. Um, I, I stayed here after football. And uh, there's, there's, there's enough negative about the, the, the temperature that you, <laughs> that you experience uh, in the winters up here. But, uh, man, we have some magnificent uh, uh, spring, summer, and fall. So I mean, you you sacrifice that uh, that uh, the experience that you have in the winter for for the the wonderful spring, summer, and fall that you have. So you know, it kind of it, it, at least to me, it uh, it's 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 a great experience. And uh, I, you know, I I got into winter sports. I I, I like going snowmobiling and. And, uh, you know, that, that sort of thing. And it's, it, it was a lot of fun for me. And so I got a chance to enjoy the winter, but, uh, I, I really enjoy the spring and summer. <laughs> <laughs> you just have to tell yourself, okay, I'm going to survive this winter. <laughs> yeah. Well, you, you can always take a vacation, take, make your vacation time the winter time. And uh, get off to some place like Arizona or Florida, down to Mexico, uh, places like that, uh, down to the Caribbean, to, to islands and stuff like that. That's to me uh, being able to do that in the winter is uh, is a godsend. You know, you get to experience some some more spring and summer in the winter. <laughs> now. I read that you're talking about snowmobiling, but I read that once in the '70s you were in Wyoming and a, a uh, blizzard. In Monta- a blizzard v- it was, yeah, it was you in over? Montana. Okay, it was in Montana and it blew you over a cliff. Yeah. How did you survive? Well, um, I took wings and flew. <laughs> <laughs> No, it was uh, it was one of those situations where we were we were going over Beartooth uh, Pass, um, Beartooth Mountains, and uh, um, uh, the southern part of uh, Montana, uh, bordering on um, uh, Wyoming, and uh, so it's. It, it was one of those situations where a storm uh, overran us. Uh, winds were over 100 miles an hour, uh, and uh, when you have those kind of storms, you, you you don't have any control of anything. I, I was blown off my snowmobile, and I was fortunate enough to uh, to hit a guardrail. Uh, I went up under the guardrail and grabbed onto some rocks to keep from falling and my snowmobile uh, actually hit the guardrail and and stopped had it not, you know, had that guardrail not been there, the machine probably would have uh, knocked me off the cliff and uh, I wouldn't be here to talk to you. But uh, the nature of the beast, man, you get in a, you get in a storm like that, uh, you just don't have any, any control whatsoever. Uh, it's, it's nature. 
nature has control. Yeah. So after that, you think to yourself, maybe I should take up scuba diving instead? Oh, I was already scuba diving, and uh, <laughs> and uh, you know, it's, it's you know, I'm a skydiver, scuba diver, and you know, snowmobiles. It's just you, you got to pick the right time to do things. Uh, we were up there going over this mountain uh, uh, in the, I think it was in February. You know, it's the coldest time of the year especially in the mountains and the time when it's uh, most, uh, the weather is most unpredicted. What's going to happen up there is going to happen because nature calls on it. So it's the way it goes. Well, who, who, is, who is the toughest player you went up against? Jim Parker. Okay. What made him so tough? Uh, he was, he was my mentor. Uh, uh, he had, he had actually, uh, one of the players of Woody Hayes had, had, uh, asked to come and, and, and help me when I was in high school. And then, and then, uh, when I went to Ohio State, uh, I played across from him. And, um, and he just beat the hell out of me. And, uh, I think he, Helped me to become a, a, a much better player than I would have been had I not had the uh, interaction with him. Uh, he's a great football player. He was he was All American. Uh, he was uh, he's in the Hall of Fame. Uh, he's one of the greatest uh, offensive tackles that played the game and. Um, uh, it, it was he was he was tough, but I beat him. Yeah, I was going to say, did it get easier going up against him in the NFL than it was on the practice field? Oh no, oh definitely, definitely. When we were in the NFL, it was a, a lot better because I had the experience of having played uh, across from him uh, as a freshman in college, and him being a senior. Uh, like I say, he just beat the hell out of me and, uh, until I learned the things that I needed to do to, to, to beat him. So um, uh, when I did beat him, I remember the first time that I tackled Johnny Unitas, and uh, I remember him standing over me and, and shaking his head in approval, uh, let me know that he thought I'd come of age. But uh, that's the kind of guy he was. Now, you survived a lot of things. One of them is the 50th anniversary of running the wrong way in a Vikings game against uh, San Francisco. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) And and your question is? Has that been difficult to live with? It it has brought you a certain amount of fame. Well, I tell you what, think of the worst mistake that you've ever made, the worst thing that you could have ever done in, in, in your career, and you make that in front of millions of people. Uh, how how would you feel? Not too good. Yeah. And, and, yet, and yet it lives on, and there are still people like you who, who would ask me that question. <laughs> but, you know, what, what gets lost in that game is the Vikings won when uh, Ella returned a fumble, and the guy who caused the fumble was you. 
That's right. <laughs> and nobody remembers that. No, no. <laughs> you gotta, you gotta accentuate the positive and eliminate the negative. <laughs> I, I've heard that song before. <laughs> yes, indeed. At least your coach gave you a compliment. He said you had the most interesting play in the game. Yeah, yeah, he did. <laughs> and he was very nice about it. Well, like I was telling my wife, we were watching uh, the uh, NFL. I was watching the NFL Network, and she was in the room, and she saw that play. And I looked at her, I go, you know what, though? It's easy to do because you get turned around out there, and you pick up yeah, the ball, and you just great. go. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you're when you're playing like that, and you're you're completely involved in the in the whole thing, and 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 you get hit a lot, you know. And uh, I'd gotten hit and knocked around and turned around, and and uh, all of a sudden there's a ball, and and you you pick up the ball, and you see the goalpost, and you run for it. You know, I mean it's. One of those mistakes that you never want to make a second time. I know every time I went on the field after that, first thing I would do is I identified the first half, which is my goalpost and some things that I could recognize down there. So, so that would never happen again. And the second half of the game, I'd, I'd look at the other end zone and recognize something down there that uh, that could be my my key or my trigger. So if I ever picked up a ball, I'd know that's the way I got to go. But uh, it only takes one time that you make a mistake like that that you don't, uh, you know, correct the way that you think about uh, uh, the game and 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 fumbles and and whether or not you're going to pick one up and run with it again. You're not the only person to do that, though. I remember watching the Three Stooges. Curly did that, I think, in one of the football games. <laughs> <laughs> so, so did Roy Regal. Yeah, Roy Wrongway Regals. I, I, I understand he sent you a letter after. Well, your... that's yeah. They they said I had correspondence from him, but uh, I, I'm not sure that uh, that wasn't uh, you guys taking your literary license and, okay. and, and, and making something up. <laughs> Somebody's good imagination makes for a good yeah. story. <laughs> Does it bother you that you haven't gone in the Pro Football Hall of Fame? Uh, yeah, I, I, I would say it, it, it. You know, I can't say it bothers me. I would love to be in the in the Pro Football Hall of Fame, but there's a certain set of credentials that you need, and if and if I don't have the credentials, then I don't belong there. And uh, if I do have the credentials, eventually uh, it'll happen. Uh, so, you know, you just, it's, it's not something that you put a lot of, a lot of thought to because, you know, you, you, you could run yourself crazy if you thought about something like that, uh, uh, for years and years and years. So, if, you know, if it's going to happen, it'll happen. If it's not, it won't. Um, I live a good life and, uh, I'm very happy with, uh, with the way my life is now. And uh, I don't think that there's uh, anything that I would sit back and and uh, want or pine uh, about. Uh, it, it just, it, it, it would be counterproductive to living a good life. Because we talked to Roger Brown the other day, and Roger Brown said, if he goes in after he's dead, he's coming back for the induction. 
<laughs> Good old Roger. Yeah. He's still cooking food. Oh, great. Great. Now, you were the last of the expansion Vikings to retire. How did you know it was time to retire, and were you ready for life after football when you did? Well, uh, how did I know? I think my body told me. Uh, I was pretty pretty beat up. I think I was bone on bone with both knees. Uh, my hips were giving me trouble. Uh, and, you know, I played until I was 42 years old. I played defensive end until I was 42 years old. And it's not many guys that that you uh, can think of that, that have – done something like that. I mean, maybe there's guys from other positions, yeah. But defensive end is a is a position that you get hit or you're hitting somebody every every play, multiple times, every play of the game. And uh and you know, I I started every game that uh that I ever played and uh and uh I think just about I finished every game that I ever played. So, you know, it's a lot of uh, physical punishment uh, on on this body of mine that uh, that uh, it, it, it told me that it was time. Uh, and I listened to it. What was your favorite moment in professional football? I think um, my favorite moment in professional football would have to be um, – uh, 1969, uh, when we, uh, won the divisional championship, uh, that sent us to, uh, the Super Bowl. Was there anything specific about that? Uh, it was just, a, it was a great feeling that, uh, already we, you know, we have, a, we have an opportunity to, uh, um, to uh, you know, be the best in the world at, at something, and um, of course the outcome wasn't what we liked. But uh, uh, you know, it's 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 that way in life. You know, it's uh, disappointments, and it's not how many times you get knocked down that count; it's how many times you get up. Right. And um, we got up, and we continued to. To, to win and and uh, had three more chances at uh, winning, but uh, never realized being a, a Super Bowl champion or a world champion. But well, the experience was great. And and the thing about those early Super Bowls is the focus was on the game from a, a certainly from a spectator standpoint. It wasn't about big parties. It wasn't about television commercials. It was about the, the best in the AFL against the best in the NFL. Yeah. And, you know, that nowadays it's the best in the AFC versus the NFC. But back then it, it was like, okay, I'm, if I'm the Vikings, I'm representing the whole NFL. And, you know, that seems like a, an awfully big burden, you know, for 11 guys on the field at one time to have to have to bear. But everybody who gets in that position has to bear that burden, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> one, one last question. 
a lot of the former players you've talked to said the greatest player ever was Jim Brown. Do you agree? Uh, I think, see, this, again, this is a thing that you cannot, I would say in, in his era, yes, Jim Brown was the greatest player uh, in his era. The time that he played, I, I think he was, I mean, there was nobody who could surpass uh, the things that, that he was able to do. No, no one did, you know. Because he was as big as defensive lineman, but he was as fast as the fastest running back around. Yeah. You know, and if you got past those defensive linemen, all of a sudden he's going up against uh, 165, 175, 185-pound uh, defensive backs. You know, he, he may have made it past the 200-pound linebacker, but he – you know, he, he's the biggest guy that he has to face, and he's sort of running down. He's just running downfield against those guys. Yeah. yeah, Jim Brown was very smart, and I think that's – he looked at that, and he knew he could run over those backs, you know, and 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 he did. And that's that's what gave him the reputation that, that he had. He knew he was an extremely intelligent player. And he knew how to take advantage of, of situations and, uh, and, and and turn them into a success. That does it for today's edition of Sports and Torts. I'd like to thank our guest, Playboy's February playmate, Kaisley Collins, former Minnesota Vikings defensive end Jim Marshall, and our executive producer, Dave Olson. Tune in again next time to Sports and Torts on TalkZone.com.